I'd like to uh, reflect a little bit this afternoon on uh, joy, mudita, and equanimity, upeka. So I've given talks on uh, love and compassion, metta and karuna. So these uh, are uh, the four awakened qualities of heart uh, or the boundless states of heart. And um, so they're, uh, it's kind of like, this is the emotional life of a Buddha. And so we can cultivate that, uh, those qualities, uh, and they, they are very helpful in waking up uh, from the suffering and reactivity of our lives. Um, and they, uh, they bring great uh, well-being and balance. And these um, these four uh, work together and balance each other. Um, and metta, in a, in a way, is uh, I, I, this. This is kind of my understanding of it. Um, metta is kind of a, a, the doorway because um, the sense of connection that we have uh, with life. And learning to um, to not impose our attachment uh, is, in a way, the way equanimity comes in and and helps us to cultivate metta that we that we love without demanding uh, that this being be something for us, um, and then when those we feel connected to and care about are in pain, then we feel, uh, or compassion arises. I, I don't want to keep using the word feeling because metta is not always a feeling. Um, metta can be a commitment, uh, a dedication. Um, so when we care about beings and they're in pain, compassion arises. Uh, when we care about beings and they're thriving, uh, joy arises. And equanimity is a kind of the balancing. So I'll, that's, that's just kind of a, a little diagram, mental diagram, uh, verbal diagram, um, of, of how they, a bit of how they work together, but there's, there's a lot more that is, is written and expressed about how these uh, different Brahma-viharas work together. Um, so when we use the word joy um, to translate mudita, uh, usually it's used with another word like uh, resonant joy or empathetic joy. Um, and it's it, it emphasizes taking joy in the well-being, in the thriving, in the uh, success and happiness of others. Uh, and and so, and and I and it's also very much um, mudita. Uh, this this quality of mudita can also be applied to the well-being and. Um, and virtue and um, and 
beautiful qualities of ourselves. I remember um, once when I was uh, starting a, a long retreat and, and a, um, a teacher asked me, so what have you been doing, you know, leading up to the retreat? And I, I had done something at work that had been really helpful. It had been a great uh, way of bringing people together in a very difficult uh, situation. And uh, it had it had really um, worked well and um, and helped to support the people who came. And so I told him about this, and then I said, it feels like I'm bragging. I shouldn't be so proud or something like that. And he said, and he said it so strongly. He said, no, no, no. Take joy in the good things that you do. And, um, and that really made an impression on me because, you know, this kind of erasing um, what we do uh, that benefits others, benefits the world, um, is not necessarily wise or good. What we can do without is how we construct a self around it. So if we, if the mind goes on and says, you know, I'm a really great person and look how skilled I am and all of that, that, that proliferation leads to suffering. Uh, but, but really feeling good about, um, the, what we do that brings blessing and goodness in the world is a good thing. Um, it's joy, uh, mudita is very different from a good mood. So a good mood is, um, you know, based on conditions. The sun is shining. We've had a lot of, uh, opportunity to practice with preference about whether the sun comes out, the sun, the rain comes. And <laughs> it's been kind of interesting how, uh, um, you know, if we, if we're, if our moods go up and down, uh, that's been an interesting uh, set of meteorological conditions to work with. Um, so the word happiness, the word happiness is used a lot in the same way as joy, I don't find it as good a word because it implies in in the structure of the word that it happens to happen, happiness, uh, happenstance. So if conditions are good, but um, I think it's, you know, we can understand how it's used to mean something that's more stable, something that's more uh, sourced from within. So, um, yeah, so just, you know, thinking about um, we can be in a good mood, we're going on vacation, we have planned this, and then, and then you know, the flight gets canceled, or uh, our passport doesn't arrive in time, or all of these things. So, so, so that kind of happiness, which is based in conditions, is is um, is so unreliable. So the joy that um, we're we're looking at does come about through the development of many causes and conditions, um, and 
they are developments of the heart and mind and whole being that are more more stable. Not that we can say, well, if I do this, then I will feel joy. But um, but we know from the teachings that, um, uh, for example, uh, generosity, um, gratitude, love, you know, a, a, an un an unselfish or or not um, self involved uh, love, wanting another to thrive and to uh, be happy and well, that these bring joy and so um so we can cultivate these roots of joy uh, and joy can manifest in many many ways um joy can be a a, a very quiet uh sense of contentment um it can be a kind of a um an energy that just ripples through us a lightheartedness a, a feeling of of freedom, of flexibility, uh, that we, that we are not stuck in our ways, that we can, um, meet what arises in our lives with, uh, with energy and joy. Um, it can, it can be humor and, um, vivaciousness. So, so all of these things, uh, are presentations of joy. So another cause of joy is, and I was talking about this earlier, is um, uh, is ethical impeccability. So um, cultivating these attitudes of non-harming, refraining from taking what is not offered, refraining from taking life, refraining from um, lying or misleading people in any way. So when we, when we have this sense that we haven't uh, violated our own, um, sen- our own understanding, our own embodied sense of what is appropriate and right and beneficial, uh, then our minds, our hearts are lighter and we're not holding... Uh, guilt or shame or remorse, and of course these are counter uh, productive to joy. So joy is one of the in seven enlightenment factors. So it fact it follows on mindfulness and investigation. So mindfulness is the first. Uh, then, then joy. Uh, the, uh, sorry, then um, investigation, and then energy and joy. So, uh, and then joy gives rise to tranquility. So, um, so when the when the mind is is more light and at ease then it, it naturally leads into being more calm and settled. So joy 
follows from mindfulness and investigation because in these factors, we discover that there's nothing that we can hold on to. And when we deeply understand that, it's liberating. You know, that we don't get, we don't get tangled up in wanting to uh, keep things to be a certain way or make things a certain way. Other words for joy are um, a pity, which is a kind of a, an energetic flow that happens uh, as our practice deepens. And um, uh, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it, it, it can happen. And uh, this pity uh, sometimes is, is translated as rapture and sometimes is translated as joy. And uh, it's kind of a, an energetic, it, it comes from the body releasing places of holding and, and, uh, and there, there can be this just release of energy that happens, which uh, can be pleasant. And actually, it can also become unpleasant if it goes on and becomes very intense. But, but uh, generally, it, it is considered pleasant. Uh, and sukha is another word, which is a more gentle joy, a joy that uh, is just content and uh, and at ease um, with life as it unfolds. Sukha. Sukha. S u k k h a. Sukha. And and um, another way that we can experience joy is through really uh, putting attention into our practice. We can take joy in our practice. Like meditation is a skill, and we can, uh, uh, you know, we can take joy in learning an instrument, and we can take joy in becoming more adept at our meditation practice. We can realize that, yes, this is a skill which is really for my benefit and the benefit of others. Uh, and and uh, I'm understanding how this works. Um, that line at the end of the precepts uh, that, uh, that we say, I, I, always, I, I love that, uh, that line, that idam misilam amagafala yanasa pachayo hotu. May these practices in non-harming bring about knowledge of the path and the fruits of liberation, knowledge of the path. It's like, yes, I can understand the path. I can come to understand the path, most of all for myself, how, this, how the path is unfolding for me, and that gives me confidence and joy. Uh, and then other meditation experiences that bring joy just using the breath to calm and uh, you know, ease the mind. Uh, Bhikkhu Analyo, uh, Analyo uh, that I've spoken of, um, and I think I've quoted this already, talks about the joy of being in the present moment. 
So just that moment of mindfulness of of just being present. There's a there's a simple, subtle joy in that. Yeah. Here I am in this moment, alive. The joy of a collected mind. So there are uh, the, the different jhanas, uh, states of absorption, are very much spoken about in terms of joy. And as I mentioned uh, in in a talk, um, I think it was it was this morning uh, that you know the Buddha just in a very uh, natural way, kind of experienced that as a youth to kind of just fall into or uh, naturally move into a a quality of a collectedness of mind that he realized was, was joyful. So when the mind is not scattered and restless and moving, grabbing here or there, and this comes from the training of the mind. And, and the, this collectedness of mind is sometimes called seclusion of mind. Uh, seclusion refers to that the mind is secluded from greed, hatred, and delusion. So that collectedness is a kind of protection that the mind is not grabbing or pushing away or uh, moving into unskillful patterns so that that collectedness of mind um, brings joy in that way. And, And then, of course, realizing non-self, real going through, moving into awakening stream entry and different stages of awakening these are all spoken of as experiences of great joy so it's a joyful path but not easy as we we all know <laughs> it's not all joy so um yeah so i, I so there are so many, so many ways that I've been nourished by joy just in this week. Um, you know, it's uh, sitting down, coming in and seeing people come in and feeling the, the, the d- deepening of people's practice as the hall becomes more silent and there's less restlessness. Um, it really is a joy to experience that with you. And, um, and as people have shared in different ways uh, what they, how they are moving through um, the whatever it is that's coming up in their practice and how, their, how the Dharma is unfolding in their lives, in their practice, um, it's a great joy. So uh, equanimity is the um, is the fourth uh, Brahma Vihara. It's also the seventh awakening factor. 
and um, uh, it's 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 called the threshold to awakening. Uh, one of the ways it's referred to, um, and um, and so the beginning the these these awakening factors each one they they all work together and they and they work in balance with each other um but as each one is developed it forms uh, a a kind of foundation for the further development and um uh, yeah the further development of the next one so so um so the seven, I've, I've referred to them, so I'll just say what they are. Mindfulness, mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture, I just spoke of, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So, um, so I've, we've talked about all of them uh, over the course of this week. So as a Brahma-Vihara... Uh, as a boundless state of heart, equanimity, upekka, uh, works to balance all of these, uh, all of the other states. And, and in turn, upekka is warmed by the, the, the heartfulness of all of these states, uh, of, of, of metta, karuna, and mudita. Um, The Buddha described a mind filled with equanimity as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. And it's also um, a state of, of balance. Uh, in some contexts, Bhikkhu Analyo refers to equanimity as equipoise, it's a it's a balance of mind uh, that doesn't. It's a non reactivity of mind. Uh, Andy Alinsky, uh, who is you, some of you may know him from the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. He also writes uh, for Tricycle Magazine. He's a wonderful Buddhist scholar. Um. And he says that it's, he finds it to be the most difficult Buddhist idea uh, to explain. He, he says, uh, he says it's, how is it that one can neither like nor not like something without being emotionally detached or indifferent? Our sense of identity is so bound up with our desires that, that for to many people, the thought of being without preferences for one thing or another is tantamount to being stripped of the, of, of the very quality that makes us human. So we do, we do identify a lot with our preferences, what I like to do, what I'm interested in doing, what I'm passionate about doing. Um, and so, um, so equanimity uh, is is not indifference. Um, 
equanimity is, is a quality of heart that can be deeply touched by suffering um, and uh, and yet does not get pulled into despair or uh, a feeling of of pity or a drivenness to somehow fix it um, so it it equanimity is that quality that that understands that things are as they are and they arise from causes and conditions and uh, another way of looking at equanimity is um, having a perspective uh, it arises equanimity is built on or develops from the many, many times we have seen experience arise and pass away. Um, sensations, thoughts, moods, mental states. Uh, so just seeing how everything arises and passes away uh, develops our capacity for equanimity. Um, Andy Alinsky points out that every moment of mindfulness, within it, there is part of what's there is a moment of equanimity. Um, because we are we are practicing receiving whatever is arising in our moment-by-moment experience without rejecting it or grasping it. Uh, so so that, that is, that's the quality of equanimity, that non, non-judging, non-preferring uh, quality that we cultivate in mindfulness. So, so it's, it's right there, right from the beginning, um, this awakening factor from the first time that we, we feel the breath go in and out and, uh, and try not to uh, judge our breath or, or uh, try not to get hooked by sounds that are coming and going. So um, Andy says, with this capacity to mindfully investigate, we see impermanence. Seeing impermanence, we see unreliability. And as we relinquish habits of grasping, we stop building a self that wants. So we, it doesn't mean that preferences disappear. It doesn't mean that a feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant aren't known in the mind. It's just that we we have a spaciousness about it. So, you know, if if I can't take chocolate, I'll take pistachio. It's okay. <laughs> uh, and so... Um, you know, there are so many ways that being on retreat asks us to relinquish our preferences and, um, and be simple and just be with what is. Uh, 
So, so we've been practicing that all week. There's, um, there's another Pali word. Um, this, this teaching is from uh, Gil Fronsdale, uh, who I think I've mentioned. Uh, he teaches at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood, California, also a wonderful scholar and, um, and yogi. And um, he says, actually, equanimity, there are two Pali words that equanimity translates. So this is the subtlety of the Pali language for different qualities of, of Dharma. So each of the words represents a different aspect. So I've been talking about upekka, and the literal meaning of upekka means to look over. Uh, so it's having this perspective um, that I just mentioned. Uh, and and it, um, it, it comes from the power of observation without the capacity to not get caught by what we see or what we experience. Um, and it's, um, it's a, um, a capacity to bear witness that gives rise to a great sense of peace. Um, and yeah, there's an ease that comes from seeing the bigger picture. And, and, um, Gil says this form of equanimity is sometimes compared to the love of a grandparent the grandparent, and we might not have had wonderful grandparents, but it's a kind of an archetype. So we we can understand what's pointed to by uh, this, you know, grandmotherly or grandfatherly love that, you know, we've been through it with our kids. We've been through the ups and downs um, oh, and or, you know, we've experienced that that care from somebody who just has a little bit more distance. Uh, is not so invested in, you know, our achieving this or taking that, you know, course or whatever it is uh, that uh, as parents, um, parents can get very caught up in in that kind of uh, attachment um, with, you know, all of the best intentions. Uh, so not so much caught up in the drama. And the second word that is often translated as equanimity is uh, tatramajatata. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that properly. Um, and uh, so it's a compound made of simple Pali words. So tatra means there and uh, or all these things. And maja means in the middle. And tata means to stand or to pose. So, so to be there in the middle of all this stuff that's going on. And, um, and uh, yeah, for, for me that evokes um, the sense of being a single mom and standing in the kitchen and trying to make dinner and the kids are wanting attention and, you know, there's other work that needs to be done and, and somehow, you know, trying to keep that sense of balance and, um, uh, and not get caught up in stress. Uh, 
So to, to stand in the middle, uh, and in that way, um, this, this sense of stability or, or inner strength. And, uh, and in that sense, Bhikkhu Nalyu uses the word equipoise. The presence of inner calm, well-being, confidence, vitality, integrity can keep us upright. Um, like a ballast, like a ballast keeps a ship upright in a storm. So this, this equanimity, uh, yeah, keeps us balanced. It keeps us from uh, getting pulled when things don't develop uh, or aren't happening in the way that we would have preferred. And, and um, one of the ways that this is often spoken about um, is in terms of what are called the eight vicissitudes of life. Um, and so, you know, the Buddha talked about, you know, there are all these forces of life, things that happen. Um, so happiness and suffering, fame and insignificance, praise and blame, gain and loss. So, and we don't have a lot of control over these. I mean, have you ever gotten blamed for something that you didn't do? Uh, that wasn't really your fault. Uh, I certainly have. Uh, and, uh, and have you ever seen, you know, like other people being praised and even getting a lot of recognition, you know, moving into fame, fame and, um, and insignificance, you know, like some people get, you know, all this recognition and they get famous and, and you know why, and and you know, yeah, we we may feel like, oh, I want to be seen, I want to be recognized, I want to be affirmed, I uh, you know for all the work that I do, and and so we can be aware of these, uh, you know, how the heart gets pulled in these ways of wanting and not wanting. We want. Happiness. We don't want discomfort. Uh, we want. We want health. We don't want illness. Um, we want. Uh, we want to be to have abundance. We don't want scarcity, and yet sometimes those are how life is manifesting and. And so how can we be, uh, you know, balanced and, you know, and recognize um, this is how it is right now. Uh, and I can be with this. I can, it doesn't mean, equanimity doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean indifference. Uh, it, it, it can absolutely involve responding with skill and wisdom and care, um, but non-reactively. So our, you know, our heart gets pulled, our, you know, we don't want this to happen, we're dreading that, uh, we're apprehensive that something might turn out some way, 
And equanimity gives us that sense of balance of, you know, I can be with what life is, how life is unfolding, knowing the impermanence of things, knowing that things arise from causes and conditions, trusting in our practice, in our, uh, in the goodwill, in the capacity of the heart to attend, to listen. Um, Ajahn Suchito, in his, uh, he, there's a wonderful uh, booklet by Ajahn Suchito that is available online uh, for free called um, Parami. Uh, and it is a, uh, a beautiful explanation taking from a series of talks that he did on um, the Parami. Uh, the Ten Perfections of the Heart. And um, and so the, the tenth of these perfections of the heart is equanimity. And, um, and he offers a reflection. He offers different little exercises in this book to practice these uh, different parami and develop them. And so he says... Um, Imagine an unpleasant scenario, being late for work, or even losing your job, or getting sick. And so, you know, maybe take a moment to imagine an unpleasant scenario that could happen. Um, And imagine just holding the space. and being present with the reality that this circumstance has come to pass. Emotions, worries, images, agitation might come through. Um, So, you know, just for this exercise, we might not want to... go too extreme, but just to build our skills and capacity uh, with something. And so, um, and then he says, notice the state of mind. So it might, this might be something that you'd want to spend a little bit of longer time with. Notice the state of mind where the agitation stops. Here you are. So there's a, you know, there's, we might go into reactivity, into worry, into images of what if. Um, and then at a certain point, it's like, okay, this is what it is. And then he suggests that we do the same with a positive experience, a positive scenario. So uh, receiving a, a reward um you know meeting somebody that uh you think will enrich your life enormously uh as a friend as a as a partner um so uh you know receiving lots of praise for something and in the same way uh let your mind 
you know, imagine that and imagine what the emotions might be. Um, it might be uh, excitement, um, might be wanting, it might be, it might be even a kind of a pulling away of, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, we don't always go toward that which we really want. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a little overwhelming. But whatever it is, again, um, just give space to that. And notice that it, at one moment in time, there we are. There you are. This, this good thing has happened. You've been praised. You've been rewarded. Um, and, and now there's the next moment. And, uh, and so it's that being with all things pass, all things uh, arise and pass away. So equanimity, uh, just to emphasize this, equanimity is not the same as not having emotions. Um, Equanimity is an emotion. It's a quality of stability and presence and balance that feels very... uh, very stable. I remember uh, some time ago when I was on long retreat, I was doing just a lot of meditation and and I was noticing this quality of equanimity uh, arising and developing within me. Um, and, And the mind kind of got in there and 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 questioned you know like oh will i be a, will, will i become like a stone buddha you know uh, unable to to feel to respond and and then i you know i took a walk and saw how how much the beauty of the uh the nature around touched my heart um and realized no it's it's not it's not a, a kind of a, there's nothing stiff or rigid or impenetrable or uh, about equanimity. It is a beautiful emotion. And, um, and it's, it's also such an important part of our relationships. All of these Brahma Viharas are. I think equanimity is so important in our relationships that we, you know, how many times do we get so annoyed because something that somebody, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child or a nephew or a friend, acts in a way that annoys us that, that we don't prefer, you know, and, and, and then, you know, the mind begins to question, what am I doing with this person? There's... You know, uh, 
when there's no equanimity. And um, but just yeah, letting keeping perspective. Um, I think I find that equanimity in relationships has really enriched my capacity to to actually just be with that person as they are and fully receive them in who they are with all their beauty and all their quirkiness and their uniqueness uh, and maybe their really their difference from me their the way that their mind and their way of being engages with life that is so different from mine and yet if if i can be equanimous and just curious and uh and compassionate and loving and joyful uh in that relationship i can i can really um uh just have that that quality of of being together in a way that is um, a very beautiful kind of mutuality of appreciation and kindness uh, and support. So these Brahma Viharas are um, such beautiful practices, and they and there's so many ways, so many uh, myriad ways that we can bring them into our lives, our daily life, our practice, our, our, our more formal structured practice. Uh, so, so let's, um, let's just take a couple of minutes to sit together and, uh, and be present in the body and, and just listen to what is arising um, for you what is resonating for you, um, what has touched you as you've listened. May our practice 
of these boundless states of heart be of benefit for our happiness and the happiness, well-being and liberation of ourselves and others. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.